Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. You know, in the past several weeks, we've, uh, we've been going through the sermon series. And the purpose of the series, if you recall, if you've been with me, is to bless you. I want you to have a fantastic year, but not just a fantastic year in 2022. I want you to have a fantastic life, right? New Year resolution that only comes so far to your own will, to what you can do. But I wanted you to know God's plans for you, and that was plans of blessings, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And that plan is shalom. That is wholeness, blessing, prosperity is included in that, right? wholeness of your health, family, relationship, all of that. And I wanted you to know God's plans for you so that you could just say yes and amen to what he has in store. Jesus, son of God, he came and continued that story. He says, I've come to give you life abundantly. That abundantly, we defined it, said it is beyond your own expectations. So purpose in all of these messages it's not just for us to feel good. It, it, it's so that we know the very plans of our Father who desires to bless you. And I don't know anyone who says, I don't want the blessings. Honestly, I have never met anyone who says, yeah, God has a great plan for me, but I don't want that. You know, God has, wants to bless me, but I don't want his blessings. Never. Who doesn't want blessings? Who doesn't want overflowing of riches and goodness and right but is it possible some of us are not receiving what he has in store because we are keeping him at bay is it possible here is God who says I want to give it to you but we can be our own worst enemy is that possible what are some things that keeps us separate keeping our Father and His hands of blessings from our lives. In a nutshell, it could be sin. That, that's a, like the most blatant answer. But what I've also noticed though, because uh, let's just talk family, right? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family of God. And we say we, we know Jesus. If, I like to believe we're all born again, saved. And let's say we are. Okay, hypothetically. We say we want it all, so we don't intentionally sin. But what are some things that keeps us from the Father's hand to bless us? I notice it's the little subtle things. It's not the blatant sin. Nobody, none of us think, oh, I'm going to sin today or plan to sin. It's little subtle compromises. It's the little things and choices that we make that we think it's okay when it's not okay. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at some example tonight where our strength could be our weakness. Where... Not so much the straight-up sin, 
but the little subtle things that we might do or compromises that we make that leads us to the beginning of the fall that keeps the father from the intimacy. You guys understand that? That's my purpose, but if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 13. If you have your phones, you can turn with me there. But I'm going to have the ESV version for you, for your convenience. But I always want to encourage you guys to mark in your own phones or Bibles. is even better. I don't know too many people who carry real Bibles anymore. But, um, yeah, 1 Samuel 13, 5 and following. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the ford of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So let me give you a little backdrop here. The backdrop of the story is that God was the king of Israel. But because the people wanted to be like other countries, other nations, they wanted a king, a human king, rather than God being their king. You guys remember the kind of the story if you read, right? And Prophet Samuel was like, you know, that's really a bad idea. This is what's going to happen. But they say, we want to be like other countries. We want to be like other nations. Give us a king. Give us a king. So because of their insisting, God anointed and empowered Saul to become their very first human king. Now, in the beginning, he did well. So this Saul was really tall, good-looking guy, but he was very insecure, uncertain of himself, but when the prophet Samuel anointed him and empowered him with the Holy Spirit. He rose up to the occasion. He began prophesying and leading in general. So he went beyond his insecurities and inabilities to lead the nation of Israel in military victories. Awesome, right? This is third year in his reign. In the beginning, in the first couple of years, Saul, with his great victories, beat the Canaanites, the Philistines of the land, to take the promised land that God said, hey, this is yours. This is your inheritance. Take it. And so as they were beating the enemies, the Philistines, of course, we're not going to stand back. So they come back with military power 10, th- 10 times greater than what they were used to. So when, you, when the Bible says 30,000 chariots, that's like, chariots is like Ancient tanks. Yeah. The Israelites saw their enemies coming at them with such number, they were trembling. They ran and hid in tombs, in cisterns, in caves, wherever they could find themselves to hide. Imagine. When you're in a war and you see your own teammates hiding, you know something's really wrong. And the context here says that Saul, the king, was still in Gilgal, which means he was still at a fort in another town. 
he wasn't coming. What is he doing? The reality is he didn't know what to do. All he knew in the backdrop of this story was that he was supposed to be in Gilgal. He was given the instructions by the prophet Samuel two years prior. I mean, we're, it's not like Samuel was keeping in touch with him on a daily basis. Hey, how are you doing, king? Right? No. Two years before, you're going to be in Gilgal. Once you get there, I want you to wait seven days. And then he said he was going to make sacrifice. First Samuel 10, 8. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. This is all that Saul had, instructions that was given to him two years prior. What happened? Saul is in Gilgal. He waits seven days, and Samuel doesn't show up. He's like, what am I supposed to do? So we get to uh, verse 8. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So, so here's the context. His men, seven days of waiting. Enemies are still coming. His men are fleeing. They're hiding. He's waiting. His, more of his men are fleeing. He sees his own army just shrink in size. And he's losing his reputation. He's losing confidence. He knows he has to do something because as a king, he is supposed to lead. But he doesn't know what to do. So what do you do? What do you do if you're in that situation? I know what I do. Sometimes I have a hard time waiting. I'm Korean. I don't know how to wait. So um, if I don't know how to wait, I make things happen. Instead of waiting for it to happen, I make it happen. You guys know something like that? And that's where we get into trouble. That's another story. <laughs> so verse 9, Saul makes it happen. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me. And the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. The prophet came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. So as a king, he knew that he couldn't just wait. He felt stupid to wait. He felt like he had to do something even though he didn't know what to do. He knew that when the prophet would come, he would offer the burnt offering and right, peace offerings, which is to win the favor of God. He's like, well, the, if the prophet's not going to be here, I'm, I might as well do it. It'll be just as good. It won't be as good, but it's just as good. And that's what he did. But when he did that, the prophet was like, what did you do? <laughs> Has anyone ever asked you? What you do? Is that ever a positive thing? <laughs> uh. Verse 11, Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philippines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Hmm. You know, when, you, when kids get caught doing something bad, what's the first thing they do? 
they make excuses. They justify the reasons why they did what they did, right? They, they get defensive, but all support why I did what I have to do. And that's what Saul did. Just like a kid, he said, you know, his people were running away in fear. You didn't come. And the enemies were going to come after me, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. I'm forced. I, so I forced myself. I had to do this. I had no choice. But listen to the contradiction of his words. Bad things were happening. I did not seek the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself to offer the burnt offering to win his favor. So, you know, we don't make burnt offerings today, except maybe smoke offerings in our barbecue pit. <laughs> but burnt offerings was exactly that. If you guys ever come to my house and I did some barbecue, you, you smelled it before you ate it. You smelled the smoke. And how sweet that smoke smelled, right? Yeah. It, it makes your, you know, you salivate. It makes you feel hungry, and you're like, you feel good. That's what burnt offering was in the Old Testament time. I mean, except they would take the animal sacrifices, something of value. So it wasn't an unwanted animal. It was probably the most precious firstborn or the most prized. They would slaughter and burn it up on an altar and it smelled. The, the literal word for burnt offering in, in the Hebrew is to ascend, meaning go up in smoke. Okay? Only purpose of that, you don't even get to eat the meat as some of the other sacrifices. You get to eat the meat of the altar. This one, you burnt offering, it comes to ashes. Only purpose is to let it, the smell go up to heaven to please God. It's to win the favor of the Lord. That's its purpose. To make him feel good. You lose. You waste. It's not a waste when it's to the Lord. But you're giving value to God to win his favor. But in the Old Testament, following the details of the law meant everything. You can't just follow the law half-heartedly. You follow the details of the law. Because if you don't follow the details of the law, you are not following the law. You either get it or you don't. And when you get it, you do it right. You do every little detail as defined. If you don't get it, you fail. You're not even coming close. And that's, that's kind of what the word sin means. The, the definition of sin in the original Greek harmatology, there's a whole study of it's the archery language, okay? The archery language is like, here's a bullseye. I'm aiming. I want to hit dead center, aim, shoot, and it miss. To miss the mark is sin. That's the language of sin, to miss the mark, to miss the standard. It's like taking a class uh, pass-fail, right? When you do the work, you get a not even a grade. You either get it right, pass, or you don't meet the standard. You fail. There's no in-between. That's what the law was. 
you either pass, hit the mark, or miss it, and you fail. There was no in-between. Saul thought that to burn something and calling it a burnt sacrifice was going to win the favor of God. He thought, yeah, only the prophets and, and the priests were allowed to do it, but hey, it's okay. I'm just as good next in line. I might as well do it. It was the same animal that we're, it's close enough. I need to win the favor of God. What he was doing, he was acting like he was following God when all he was doing was to manipulate to try to get God to, what, to do what he wanted God to do. It wasn't to do God's will. It was to get God to do his will. You guys understand that? People do that with church. Uh, some people think that they can come to church and it will get them on the good side with God. If you come to church and sing the songs and give the offering, you do the right things, you will be on the good side. It can't hurt, but maybe it will help, right? It's almost as if people treat the church and God as a good luck charm. It won't hurt, but maybe it will help. I knew a guy, an uh, Asian guy, and he had little miniature idols all around his house. You guys ever been to someone's house? They had a little mini Buddha. They even had the golden cat with a hand goes like this. You've seen that in the Chinese restaurant? He even had that in his own, you know, not restaurant, his own kitchen. He had other miniature, I called idols, of other religions all around the house. He practiced feng shui, which is like the positive energy for the flow, right? He practiced all of these things. And get this, he even said, oh, I believe in your God too. Oh, yeah, Jesus, your God, I believe him. You see the contradiction in this? His thinking is, well, if it will help some of you, it won't hurt me. I want to get it all right. It, that's polytheism. It, it's like, I want to cover all my, it's like, I want an insurance policy. I want to get all of it. I say yes to all of it so that I miss none of it. Okay, Here, here's the fault in that logic. The one true God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The first commandment of the ten, he says, There is only one God, and you shall have no other gods. He's not saying that to say, Hey, I need a competition. I don't like competition. That's not what he was saying. There is only one God. And you'll be fooling yourself if you bow down to any other gods. Because I am the truth, the life, right? There is only one. To bow down, to believe in any other is a contradiction to what you say you believe. God is not a fool. You cannot seek his favor without winning his heart. If you were to offer a burnt offering in the ancient times to following the law... It was to give something of value to win his favor. In 
our new covenant times, because of what Jesus Christ, God's own son, had done on that cross, he became the offering. He became the ultimate sacrifice so that we no longer have to give anything. Do you understand? He, we are no longer required to f- fulfill the Old Testament law because he says, I will give the best offering for all times, and that is of my own life. So in the New Testament, we no longer have to offer sacrifice, but to win the favor of God, we need to honor the one who gave it. That is the Son. In fact, Jesus, he said this in John 5.20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You want to win favor, you honor the Son. You don't honor the Son, you get nothing. You miss the mark when you miss the Son, period. The Old Testament honor was shown by obeying the law. In the new covenant, we honor the Son and we honor the Father. We honor the Son, we honor the Father, we win the favor through the Son. Because Jesus paid it all. He gave the utmost valuable, his own life, to save us. And what he did on that cross was say, you are valuable, you're worth dying for. You're worth saving. He displayed what, he, what was in his heart. He says, you're worth my life. The question then in our response to his own sacrifice, do we honor him? How we honor him is not necessarily done in the church. How we honor him is not necessarily what happens in the church. I would say, in fact, there's one hour out of the seven days, okay, is really a a, a blip of our life. How you honor God is shown in what you do when you're alone. So are you honoring him when you are alone outside the church? In how we live, choices we make, what we say, how we spend our money. We show what we value by where we spend our valuable resources. Whether it's your talent, money, time. Whatever is valuable to you, how you spend it shows your value. And are you showing your value to Jesus? It's not enough to come to church, sing songs, and leave and think we are honoring him one hour a week. Saul was pressed on all sides. He feared for his life. He feared for his kingdom. He feared for his people. 
But rather than obeying the prophet's instructions, he felt he had to do whatever it took to save himself in that season. Do you guys understand? Knowing that he was making compromises, he felt he had to do what he had to do. And that's where compromises happen. We reason, you know, this sacrifice is not going to be good enough, but it's close enough. Hey, the prophet's not here. What more choice do I have? It's very logical. I confess, if I'm Saul, I might do the same thing. Because we reason, but I had to do something. We're in the middle of war. Our, my whole army is running away in fear. I can reason, justify all these things. And what compromises look like in our life is something very logical. Okay? Compromises never look like something illogical. It looks very logical. In fact, it sounds something like the fruit looks so good for food as a nourishment to our body and good for wisdom. That's what it sounds like. The compromise sounds like, but if we do it this way, it will cost so much to fix, to get it right. You know, years ago, I had a, I saw a home improvement TV program. I, I love home improvement TV programs. You know, I like handiwork and fixing and all that. But this particular show, I forget the title of the show, but it was like this. It's like homeowner would start on some project, mess it up. And then years later, never get a fix and say, I need a professional. So these TV crew and their experts come to save the day. Right? So there's one guy. His homeowner started on many projects. And he would frame, you know, this entire wall of his new addition. And he would frame it. And he realized his measurement was off. You know, you're supposed to measure twice and cut once. But sometimes people cut multiple times and measure Less than that. But anyways, he was like, oh, it's like the framing was like three inches off. I was like, eh, close enough. So he would, he would let it go. He installed a window. It was like inch off all around. He goes, yeah, good enough. And he would let it go. And he went to other things. There was like so many of his things that he looked at and goes, eh, good enough. And let it go. The experts, the crew, they were laughing. They were just like, it came to a point where they realized they knew what he was going to say. They said, like, what about this? He's like, eh, good enough. Eh, eh, good enough. But here's the point. They laughed because his good enough wasn't good enough. You guys understand? The crew, the experts knew the standard of safety. They had a standard of excellence of what things were supposed to be built on. That they knew something was going to crumble years later if it wasn't built correctly to the correct standards. His good enough wasn't good enough. What people do in their own free time, it goes, ah, that looks good enough. It's okay. It's a little compromises. But when there is a standard of excellence, standard to building correctly, and you miss the mark, you miss it completely. It's not good enough. Compromise happens when we say, ah, it's good enough. When we accept something less than excellence, 
less than the standard that God says, here's my standard. Here's the thing, folks. The standard for which God has given us is written in the scriptures. It's in the Bible. It's outlined. God's plans for you to bless you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And yet, we, we say we believe, but we'll settle for something far less. And we might say, oh, but God's keeping me from having fun. Ah, oh, or we reason, oh, I can't imagine our good father wanting to keep joy from me. It feels so good. How can it be so wrong? We reason ways to justify logically that the scripture is irrelevant or can't be right. I know more. If we say God is our Lord and shepherd, our Savior, and yet we can't trust his own words, we're saying we know better than God. The standard that he gives us, we, we're saying we know more when we refuse to abide by his standard and say my standard is better than him. That's where compromises happen. That's when we fall short of the standard that God has for us. But let me tell you, folks, compromises is the gatekeeper from God's blessing in your life. God has a plans for you to bless you. But compromises in your life is your gatekeeper from his blessings. Because the compromises are less than his standards. Compromises from pure faith in Jesus is a dam that withholds his blessing of abundant life from you. So the question is, what are the compromises in our lives, in your life? And I can't tell you that because I'm not with you 24-7. I don't know what you do outside of church. I don't know the decisions you make outside of church. But we, if we are honest, we kind of know when we are making compromises. Because people who make compromises find themselves at a crossroad more often than not. You know what I'm talking about, crossroads? Place of decisions where you can go left or right. And you're wondering which way to go. And you kind of know if one way leads closer to God and another way leads away from God. You kind of know when you're making compromises because of the voices that you listen to or the voices that you refuse to listen to. There are people who are trying to lead you to closer to relationship with God. And there are people who lead you to somewhere else. And you know what I'm talking about. The people who are leading you. There are people who really care about your heart and your righteousness. And there are people who really don't care. But say all these things as the world does. I don't know what your compromises are. 
but you find yourself in a crossroad and you kind of know. You kind of know if there's compromises in your life. The problem is, which I have many times done in my life, is I try to make it happen. Rather than wait on the Lord, rather than doing the right thing, rather than seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, we make it happen as the world standard. And that's where compromises happen. There are countless examples of compromises in the Bible. You know, and I used to think there were so, such idiots, Israelites. Over and over throughout history, they have so many idols. Baal, Asherah, there's so many examples where they fall, come back, fall, repent, come back, right? All those things. Did you know that? Why do they keep falling into that pattern? It's not that they did not believe in the Yahweh God. I want you to get this. The Israelites in the nation of Israel and all the people, it's not that they didn't believe in the Almighty God. They believed in the compromises of the culture of their land. The, the Baals and the Canaanite, the, the idols. Here's just one example. Here's the Israelites. We need help with a crop. Okay? What do you do? You pray. But to win God's favor, what do you have to do? You have to go to the Jerusalem, to the temple. With, If you don't like walking long, worse to carry your animal, you know, along for a whole week, to get there, to only to slaughter the animal for, you know, a week later, and then to walk back, it's kind of inconvenient. It gets very tiring very fast and very expensive. Here is the Canaanite idol-worshipping convenience. They'll say, but you don't have to go to Jerusalem. Here is your little God. You can set it next to your bedside table. You can pray whenever you want. It will save you so much gas money, you don't have to travel. Okay? At the convenience of your house, you don't have to wake up early. You can just do it at the convenience, right? And it will save you so much money and time. And, you, and he will help you to build your crop to be you know, prosperous. Here's the convenience of that thought. Hey, everyone's doing it. It must be right. The whole world is, you know, worshiping it. it can't, everybody can't be wrong. Yeah, they can. That was a pattern of the Israelites going to the idol worship because they made compromises with lies of the culture. I, here's the pastor's heart. I want you to be blessed. I want our church to be blessed. I want the Wizard Chapel to be blessed. Wizard Chapel is already very affluent and it's growing, but that's not what I'm seeking for our community. I want every one of our family members to be blessed in a way that God desires to. I, I, it breaks my heart when any of you guys are sick, okay? We're keeping you guys in prayer. We're doing what we can. But, the pastor's heart is that I don't like seeing any brokenness, any broken relationship, any brokenness in the household or your kids going through any difficulty. I don't like seeing any of you going through any of trials, period. I want God's shalom, peace to reign. We believe for lost to be found, found to be free, and peace to reign. We say that not just as a model because it sounds good and rings, you know, poetically. It is God's truth and plan 
And we're saying, yes, that's what we want. And we are our own worst enemies. God desires to release that, but only you can let him do that. And it requires purity in our faith. Purity in our trusting of his scriptures. And where we compromise, we have to kick out. We recognize that, call it for what it is. If there's idols in our life, we have to kick it out. If there's compromises in our faith, we have to kick it out. We just have to say yes to God and his standard and nothing else that gets in the way. Amen? You guys with me on what I'm trying to tell you? Okay, I won't preach anymore. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. No, I'm just kidding. I welcome the uh, prayer team up. You know, tonight was so good. Worship was powerful. I am so grateful to be here for what God is doing. And I recognize this is just the beginning. Where we are headed, where we are going, whether it's Sunday night or morning, whether it's our life group, whether it's serving the poor or stopping human trafficking, the mission of the church we're seeing happen. And I want you guys to join me in that. The church is not about Sunday nights. I want you to understand that. This is just a blip in our spiritual walk. All it is, this is just the beginning of something greater that I see happening. And I feel like, and I've been in other churches and I've seen this, the compromises made. It breaks my heart. I don't want to be another church who makes compromises. I want to be a church that be, it be a church. The body of Christ who loves one another and kicks out sin. Call out sin for what it is. No division, but peace, shalom in this very place. So if there's anything in your life that you need prayer that compromises you and you don't know what to do come receive prayer if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior come receive prayer receive the guidelines how do we if you have walked away and want to come back come receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit there is power in laying of hands and praying with one another there is humility to come forward to say I don't have it all together I received prayer this morning I went to the temple campus, I received prayer. Because I am not perfect. And I love encouraging truthful words spoken over me. And I want you guys to see that and know that. You don't have to be perfect to be in the church. God loves you just the way you are. But he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants to raise you up to live to your full identity of who you are meant to be. So no compromises, but pure faith. Amen? We all stand up. If you have kids, I welcome you to pick up your kids and come back, receive prayer, hang out, fellowship. But I want you to just, if my words, you just come in agreement with me, 
lift up your hands, receive the blessings. I want to bless you and come at your will to receive prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your desire for your sons and daughters and your blessings. Your blessings. Life abundantly beyond our expectations, beyond what we deserve, but what Jesus deserves. What your son deserves, you have promised that grace upon the church, the bride that you love so much that you died for. And I ask you, Lord, to release all of that. And if there's any compromises, the walls, that, the chasms that separate us from receiving the fullness of your blessings in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would come and bring it to surface, Lord, that we would be able to repent these things and call for it, the compromise for what it is and ask for your forgiveness, ask for and to repent of our ways and to come back to you, Lord. We recognize your desire for us to, is to be in full relationship with you. And I just ask to release of that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.